Hi, this is Steve Bowes, and you are listening to Radical Research, a new conversation in HCM research with host Madeline Lerano on the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network. This episode on the HR Happy Hour Network is made possible by Work Human, helping businesses energize cultures, drive performance, and unite workforces by creating human moments that matter. Visit www.workhuman.com. And remember to subscribe to Radical Research and all the HR Happy Hour Network shows wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, welcome to Radical Research, part of the HR Happy Hour podcast series. This is Madeline Lerano. I'm your host and I'm the founder of Aptitude Research. And I'm thrilled to be here joined with Mike Hootie, who's the Chief Science Officer at Modern Hire. And we're going to spend a little bit of time today talking about the role of science in talent acquisition. We'll talk about some of the misperceptions. And we'll talk about how companies have been changing talent acquisition today and how they're really thinking about redefining success for the future. So welcome, Mike. I'm thrilled that you're here today. Yeah, thanks, Madeline. Glad to be here and appreciate you inviting me to, to chat. So you have had a very busy year at Modern Hire, (laughs) you know, in a pandemic. I think for most companies, things slow down, and that certainly doesn't seem to be the case uh, at Modern Hire. Yeah, for sure. It has been uh, an interesting year for everybody. But yeah, for for Modern Hire, it's been, um, you know, not not, uh, without its challenges, but lots of exciting stuff. Uh, have gone on as we've continued to kind of build out our platform. Uh, We've recently made an acquisition and welcomed Sanru to the family to expand our global footprint, and that has been wonderful. And initially, things are going uh, going great there. And then um, also, we just recently launched a new brand called Cognition, which is uh, modern higher science that's really at the heart of everything we do. So yeah, we've been, um, we've been uh, quite busy and uh, have managed to continue to grow in this, in this environment as well. It's great. I mean, I think it really speaks to what's happening in the industry and how important certainly interviewing and assessments are today and how companies are, are rethinking it. But the, the science piece is really interesting to me because for a lot of companies, we don't, they don't have an option to have solutions that are really based on science and, you know, having those provable insights. So maybe you could share a little bit about Cognition, um, this new brand, and how you're differentiating from, from other providers in the market. Sure. Yeah. So we launched Cognition and we decided to brand our science, uh, you know, as you said, because it truly is a differentiator. And really what's going on in the market in this space, in this crowded kind of HR technology space, what, we're, what we've seen happen is that science has become synonymous with data science. And while data science is an important element of science, and it's led to some wonderful breakthroughs in, in lots of areas, including talent acquisition. Science is much broader than that. It encompasses so much more than just, uh, just data science. And it actually, you know, our perspective and cognition is that it actually begins with, with understanding, a, a conceptual understanding of what drives performance in organizations, in jobs. It starts with understanding what knowledge, skills, abilities lead to somebody being successful in a role and it being a good fit for them, and then constructing appropriate measurement systems around that so that you can learn that about individuals. 
Um, and th then once you have that understanding, you now have good data, then um, advanced analytic techniques, data science does come into play and allows you to do things and allows modern hire to do things in a more sophisticated way than we've ever been able to do before. So it is a piece of it. And then it continues on from there as you start to use these advanced analytic techniques. Um, there's, there's a practical and ethical um, uh, use of these that comes in as well, how you're actually applying them. And that starts and ends with being transparent. It's letting candidates know what data is being collected, how that information is being used and doing that in a way and being open with, with it in a way that candidates kind of shake their head and say, yeah, that makes sense and I'm comfortable with it. But it's also being transparent and sharing with the world what you're doing. It's not hiding it. It's sharing with uh, end users that are interpreting this information who are using it to support their decisions like, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's what's going on inside of the box. And so kind of moving away from this black box more to a glass box approach in being able to share that. And then one, you know, one other important cornerstone of cognition of what science should be and is at Modern Hire is building your entire practice on the foundation of the rules, regulations, and guidelines that are in place for doing proper selection. And that includes uh, employment law. So that's why we kind of launched this brand is to say, hey, science, yeah, data science is a piece of it, but it's so much more than this. And this is what good science looks like. Yeah, it's so interesting. I think science is often uh, misinterpreted in talent acquisition. And I think the, the data science piece is, is certainly one example. Um, you know, I, I like how you're kind of framing it as almost a methodology too around the science. What are some of the other misperceptions that you see that companies have around science? Good question, and there's lots of directions uh, I could take this one, but what comes to mind is, well, first, you know, there could be a misconception that there is actually a science to hiring people better, and, there, and, and that is true. Uh, we've been doing research for almost two decades now, uh, hundreds of validation studies to actually show that good measures, good science uh, actually helps increase the accuracy uh, of decisions, uh, meaning driving quality of hire, draw, uh, driving reductions in attrition, and driving diversity in the, uh, in the candidate pool. So lots of studies, and each and every time, science helps improve what kind of human decision makers can make by offering decision support. So that could be one misconception sort of in the other direction. There is a science to it, um, but not all science is uh, created equal, and, and it yeah. goes back to you know, the point that I made earlier uh, of science being uh, synonymous with data science, that when you think about data science, artificial intelligence, those are nothing more than um, powerful data analytic tools. Uh, but that's all that they are, uh, is that they are tools. And it actually starts with, and, and the, the, the approach has been, and the prevailing approach out there has been there's no shortage of data now and access to data. So let's go out, let's find data that's plentiful, let's find data that's available, that's convenient. And now we have these powerful data analytic tools and let's just throw it in the hopper and see, and see what sticks. And that's a lot of, when you, when you read websites, you, you read what's out there, that's the approach of, uh, of a lot of what's going on out there. So for instance, using resume data 
as the, the source of data to do modeling or using LinkedIn profiles or social scraping. That's readily available data. It's out there. Um, however, it's not, it doesn't answer the question, does this, um, does this tell us something about the person's propensity to succeed in the job? Does it tell us about their knowledges, their skills, their abilities as it relates to success in the job? So they don't have much predictive power. And even worse than that, those sources oftentimes uh, are chock full of, um, of bias. So biggest misconception is that it's not about the analytical techniques. It starts with understanding and it starts with having meaningful data that actually answers the question that you're going after is, does this candidate have what it takes to succeed in the job? And then layering on top of that uh, advanced analytic techniques. Yeah, I think it's such an important differentiator. And you mentioned, you know, meaningful data and good data. And I think that's what I see with companies doing as well. It's just more data for them equals analytics and, you know, and, and kind of better insights when it's really thinking about where is that data coming from? I mean, we found even that 70% um, of companies that they're making their decisions, their talent acquisition decisions based on resume data. And that's it. Right. And, you know, resumes certainly aren't new. They've been around for quite some time. Um, and there's research on resumes and how effective they are for helping you predict success in the job. There's a whole body of research on that as well done through the years and studies that have been compiled. And you know, before even the advent of data science, the, the, the finding was that resumes have basically zero predictable, a validity coefficient, a correlation of zero with on-the-job indicators. So if that's what you're starting with, now, yeah, maybe you can find some more sophisticated relationships that you couldn't with, with, without artificial intelligence and more advanced modeling techniques. But if your starting point is zero, how much more are you going to get out of that as opposed to taking something like that has been proven through the years, like assessments that have validities that range from 0.3 to 0.5 with traditional modeling techniques and then layering data science on top of that, the incremental gains you get are far substantial to when you're starting with something like resumes. So, I mean, I think that's, you know, certainly one area that we see as a, a big challenge with thinking about the whole conversation around data is where it, where it comes from and is this meaningful data that can help, you know, predict and be an indicator of success. What are some of the other challenges you see? I mean, data is such a big topic and I think companies are really confused with all of the data they have from all these different systems and how to use it. You know, what should companies think about? Um, when it comes to data and how they think about, you know, evaluating provider, providers and uh, this whole conversation of science? Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good question because it is so important. The data is so important. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with as you're trying to put together a program and improve outcomes that you start with and evaluate the data that you have, the data that's already readily available. It's not that all data that's readily available isn't necessarily good. But it's not going into it with an assumption that all data is helpful. So it's critically evaluating those data sources to say, okay, wait a minute, let's take a step back. What are we trying to drive here? What are we trying to optimize? We're trying to improve hiring success. And we're defining that as um, better quality of hire. And what that means for us is, you know, quicker learning curve, whatever it may be. We're trying to reduce attrition. We're trying to increase diversity. Like that's 
what we're optimizing for. And now let's critically evaluate each of these data sources to say, are they meaningful? Are they going to tell us something uh, that could help us with that question? So it's, it's, a, it's great to use that as a starting point, but it shouldn't end there. It shouldn't end with what's available. It should say, okay, where are the gaps? What are we missing? We don't have the data today, but we could put mechanisms in place to start collecting that data so we can model it in the future. And that's one of the things that, that uh, far fewer companies are doing is that kind of the critical thought of, um, you know, what else, what else could we capture? And then, you know, the, the, the huge part of this is evaluating, like you might not know the answer to those questions. Like, is it good or not? Is it helpful or not? We don't know. We'll do the research to find out. And, you know, some examples that come to mind of when, you know, where that kind of falls down sometimes is in, in things that are as simple and as screening criteria. So many use screening criteria on the front end of the hiring process. It's what are the minimum requirements for the job? And it's the very first you know, set of questions that a candidate might encounter. And those are typically developed and set by you know, a talent acquisition professional talking with a hiring manager saying, hey, what does a candidate need? And you get a short list of those things. And you know, they need this much experience doing this and they need this kind of uh, educational background. And you end up with this set of criteria that, that that's what they're based on. But those need to be challenged. Is it really, is it really a requirement that you have this amount of experience? Um, typically, the, the answer to that is, is no. We, we've done, again, two decades of research. Lots of that research has been, does experience matter? How predictive is past experience for, for future? And those jobs that we've done analysis with, the answer is there's not a relationship there. It doesn't matter if you have one, two, three, four, ten years of experience. That doesn't tell you anything about the person's propensity to succeed. It's back to they have, do they have the characteristics? Do they have the knowledge, the skills, the abilities to be successful? We really don't care where they learn those, where they develop those. Um, and, and so um, by putting screening criteria in place like that that aren't vetted, um, you can you serve to to constrain your candidate pool. And oftentimes you screen out because it's experiential based, experience based, you screen out diverse candidates. So you crush yourselves on diversity goals right out of the gate with a criteria that doesn't, that doesn't really matter. One example, um, we worked a lot of banking clients through the years and it's very common for a bank teller position to have as a minimum requirement, how much cash handling experience do you have? And having it be a minimum qualification, for instance, needs two years of cash handling experience. And we've actually, you know, to, to my point of evaluating the, okay, it seems reasonable, but does it make sense? Does it actually, does it actually help? We've done the research to look at, okay, do years of experience matter? Does it relate to how that person then later does on the job? And we found that there's no relationship across banks, no relationship with cash drawer accuracy. And in some cases, we've even seen an inverse relationship where the more experience you had cash handling, the worse your cash drawer accuracy um, results were on the job. So that's you know, just one example. There's many of those examples. But it's one example. You know, talk to a hiring manager, need cash handling experience, but without vetting those, testing those out, um, that's kind of where you end up. It's so interesting. And you think about it from the candidate's perspective too, right? It's the, the data they're providing is based on their perception that experience matters. 
So they're, you know, writing their resume, updating their LinkedIn profile, updating their social profiles, whatever, whatever it is, updating their, their conversations with companies based on this perception that experience is a qualifier for this role. And that can lead to, to bad data too, or, or inaccurate data. Absolutely. I mean, the, the attribute stuff in a resume is typically like that lead in paragraph that everybody, yeah, most people just skip over and get to the, to the relevant experiences and look for a number of years. And uh, So you mentioned diversity and diversity hiring, such a big topic today, such an important topic. And I think a lot of companies just don't know what they should be doing. You know, we find in our research that most companies are just investing in some sort of training, which is just a start and stop. They just do the training and then nothing happens. So as companies are kind of thinking about the next year and thinking about what they can do to improve diversity hiring, what role do, does technology play? I mean, I know this is something you spent a lot of time thinking about and you provided one example for, you know, thinking about this, but how should companies think about evaluating solutions for, for this topic of diversity? Yep, obviously um, it's, it's a huge one and there are things that you can do for sure and technology can play a role in it. Um, and, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record here, but be, even before technology comes into play, it's, it's having the right data. It's going back and challenging uh, what we're asking candidates today and the criteria we're using to move them through our process. And are we putting artificial barriers up? Are we throwing these things up because they're proxy measures? Uh, but we really have no evidence that say this actually matters to on-the-job success. And the more that those criteria are experience-based um, by asking those screening questions, resume, application, LinkedIn profile, the, the more heavily weighted they are towards experience, the educational requirements, for instance, the more likely you are um, uh, that you're constraining the diversity of your applicant pool right away, probably with questions um, that really don't have an impact on whether or not you succeed. Once you you know, critically evaluate that um, and you are confident that you have good, meaningful data that's related to success on the job, then technology and analytical techniques can help. And so, for instance, at, at Modern Hire, we've developed um, artificial intelligence that we can take data and we can optimize against multiple outcomes, meaning we say, okay, we want to have the most predictive power possible, and we want to, at the same time, maximize diversity of our candidate pool. And we can use the artificial intelligence to do that, where it will concurrently run thousands and thousands of different iterations of algorithms to come up with sort of that sweet spot. Like, here's the combination of data, and again, starting with a foundation of good quality data, meaningful data, but then taking this data, looking against it, looking at it against criteria like uh, success and diversity, and then optimizing uh, a scoring algorithm that accomplishes both of those objectives. We've always done that, but it's historically been a more manual process, kind of trial and error. Like an analyst might go in and try 30 or 50 different versions of the algorithm to find that sweet spot. Now it's a matter of just letting the artificial intelligence do the heavy lifting and explore so many more possibilities than a, you know, no matter how smart of an analyst is, is never going to be able to try all of those out to arrive at here is, here is a set of algorithms that you might want to try that accomplish that goal of giving you predictive power that you want, but also making sure that you're maximizing the diversity in your candidate pool. 
Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I mean, I I, I just keep coming back to the experience and education uh, piece because I think that's uh, so important, and I think so so many companies don't don't even think about that. It's what is defining success, and then how do we think about how that's impacting and hurting our diversity efforts? Absolutely. Yeah, and I and I think you made an important point there that most companies don't think about it. Like they're thinking about this, not that they don't think about the diversity in general and, and how do we get more diverse candidates? How do we get a more diverse candidate pool? But these little things like that, that you just kind of say, oh yeah, they're the, they're the minimum qualifications. We set these, we right. talk to somebody. And they, so those, I, I think it's pretty rare for companies to challenge even those types of criteria, but that's the lens. That's what, yeah. that's what we'll do it is like end to end, you know, starting with what are we doing to attract bring candidates to us to then once they, um, and then making our, our company and our jobs uh, attractive to diverse candidates. Um, and then once they're interested, you know, that, that end-to-end process of candidate evaluation to make sure things are really grounded in what leads to success and eliminating any of those things that we're asking that seem intuitive, but really don't tell us anything and serve to you know, to constrain our applicant pool in terms of diverse candidates. Right. And I think, you know, to your point, talent acquisition gets stuck, gets stuck in its own ways. Like they've been doing this for so long. They've been doing these pre, you know, pre-screening questions and qualifying questions for so long. And it's hard to rethink these processes that don't, don't necessarily make sense anymore and maybe never made sense. Um, And I think that what I've seen this year is if there's ever been a time to rethink this, uh, now is the time, you know, and I know, you know, we're working on a piece of research together around redefining success for the future. You know, what are some of these areas that you see with clients and with companies you're talking to and, and how they're thinking about what success looks like? You know, I think science plays a big part of that. You know, we can't just have success based on what we feel and what we think makes sense. It has to be based on proven results. Yeah, and you know, the, there, there's been with this environment, there's been there's been a lot of shifts, obviously, that have happened this this year, and you know, despite all the challenges this year, and, and all the negative things that have happened, there actually have been some positive things when you think about talent acquisition. Um, in what what talent acquisition um, functions were faced with is almost overnight, they were forced to completely redesign their talent acquisition process and leverage technology and science. The kind of the face-to-face high touch that so many had, uh, had to go away almost overnight. So whether or not companies were thinking about doing this already, it kind of didn't matter. It was by survival they needed to do this. And so what we saw is our clients and and others were kind of doing these uh, forced experiments. Like we had to do it. So we put something in place, but then, we tested and learned and we iterated and, and we learned from those experiments and we began to get more sophisticated in, oh, wow, we can do this with technology. We can automate this. We've always just scheduled our own interviews. Why were we doing that all these years? So started to get more sophisticated in the way that they're, they're using these tools and, by, you know, and we're still not in a face-to-face environment yet. So they've had time, uh, time to do that. So that's been um, a, a really kind of in- interesting trend. And, and one example of this is we, we have a client that's uh, in an entertainment park and they, they hired the same way for, 
for many years. Uh, and then all of a sudden with COVID, they, they had to shut down all the parks and they were left with the challenge of opening those back up and having to restaff all of their parks all at the same time or about the same time. And it was like, no, we can't use the same process. Oh, and we can't do things face to face. Right. So they were left with this challenge and so had to reinvent the way that they did hiring and the way that they did that, did that is leveraging uh, technology and science. So engaging candidates with the on-demand text exchange, meeting them where they are, the kind of the, the hourly associates that are going to work at this park through an on-demand text to learn a little bit about them and see if they do meet the minimum requirements for the job. If they do, then they just immediately auto advance into an assessment where in that assessment, they learned a little bit about the company. They learned a little bit about the job and the company learned from them and gathered data on those kind of knowledge of skills and abilities required to succeed in these roles. And again, they, if they fit, they were auto advanced again. And then they auto advanced into a scheduler where they were able to kind of see openings to just come in and fill out paperwork and boom, fill out paperwork and they're ready to start. Uh, so they did that in a, in a touch-free kind of frictionless way and, and doing it out of necessity. Now, like as things change and if we ever get back to normal, you know, I don't, these companies aren't going to go back to the more manual way of doing things. They're going to continue to use uh, technology and science. Another way that things have shifted dramatically is, again, almost overnight, talent acquisition teams have been dealing in a world of candidate scarcity for like, you know, over a decade since the last, you know, since the last recession, where it's been all about how do we drive traffic to our career site? How do we even get candidates for these jobs? And then almost overnight, for not all jobs, but many it became candidate abundance. So now I'm a completely different challenge. I have way too many candidates for this position. How do I process them all? How do I determine if they're a good fit? And so again, back to using technology and science to automatically engage candidates to have a good, positive, personalized experience, but then to get the kind of data you need to be able to say, okay, let the, these candidates, this pool of candidates looks better than this, so let's advance them in the process so you have a more manageable number that you can spend time with. Yeah, and it's interesting because both of those examples, the theme park and then, you know, with a company that now needs to find an abundance of talent, it's the experience too. You know, I think so often we think about science and technology and it's the benefits to the company and the employer, um, but the, the benefit in both of those cases are to the candidate too. They get a better understanding through the assessment of what this job is going to be like. Uh, it's more it's more efficient. You know, they they get, um, you know, a better understanding of, of you know, what success would look like in this type of role. And, you know, it's, it's a, a better experience, one that just hasn't been what they've probably been used to in the past. And it impacts the brand. I mean, theme parks are all over the news now about how they're responding, whether they're opening, safety, uh, you know, the experience of, of people that are coming to visit the parks. But it, it's certainly impacting how they think about employees and candidates too. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you make a great point, and it's, it's one that's not – you know, it's, it's not out there as much as that, um, you know, the advanced analytic techniques and artificial intelligence, yeah, they can help us with making smarter hiring decisions, but they can also help us with creating a better candidate experience. When you think about it from a candidate perspective, a candidate is coming to the career site 
uh, and they're wanting to learn. They're wanting to learn more about the company. They're wanting to learn more about the job. And you're learning about the, the, the candidate real time. And that allows you the ability to kind of serve up information to those candidates that matters to them. So they're accomplishing their goal of learning. Um, but, you know, that's not in the soundtrack as much when you talk about artificial intelligence. But that increased sophistication can help you in that way, too, is serving up relevant content to candidates so they get what they're after. Well, Mike, this has been awesome. I, you can't see me because we're just on audio, but I have been scribbling away and taking <laughs> million notes. So um, I have certainly learned so much. And, you know, I think it definitely changes how I think about science and, and some of those misperceptions I probably had myself. So I really appreciate your time. You know, is there anything that you uh, kind of want to wrap, wrap up with in terms of what's happening at Modern Hire or anything that you want to share uh, with, with this new Cognition brand? Just, you know, yeah. So we're, we're continuing, you know, and, and I think this topic fits so well into what Cognition is all about. And these questions you have answered, I mean, these questions that you've asked are, you know, they kind of reinforce why we launched the Cognition brand uh, to begin with is because the, the, some of these questions you ask aren't really being asked and, and, and practitioners might not know to ask them. So um, I think that um, that's a great thing. And then, you know, we have a whole cognition um, piece of our website now that shares like here, you know, in the idea of uh, being transparent and sharing what we're doing, we're sharing like lots of the very cool research uh, that, that we're doing. So for instance, we, we just recently did a, a study and it's probably we think that one of a one of a kind is with artificial intelligence and the need to be transparent with candidates and get candidates to actually consent to artificial intelligence being used in the hiring process as a, um, we did research to uh, see what do candidates want to know about artificial intelligence how much information what kind of information do they want to know and does the nature of the information and the amount of information have an impact on their uh, likelihood to consent to AI being used. And we found, um, you know, we've, we found results that said, absolutely, candidates want to know more. Um, and if you educate them, you tell them what's being done, what kind of information's being used, and you do it in a way that's very, that makes sense to them, like, okay, I can see why you're doing that. Candidates' perceptions of artificial intelligence are actually more positive, and they're more likely than to consent to it being used uh, as part of the application process. So um, super excited about that, interesting. And we've used that then to even shape what our consent statements look like, how they read to candidates when we share that in the, in the process. I'll have to check it out. It's all about that transparency, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for everyone for listening and joining us at Radical Research. Thanks so much.